This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Uh, this week, Kyle Fansler is on vacation, so I'm stepping in for him. And we have a interview with Pete Radovich Jr., who is the executive producer and actually he's the senior creative director at CBS Sports, as well as the coordinating producer uh, of the UEFA Champions League coverage, as well as Serie A, uh, Inside the NFL and, of course, the uh, CONCACAF uh, coverage, too, on CBS Sports. He is the division behind CBS's coverage of soccer, uh, and he has a lot of experience and insight to share. I wanted to tell his story. I wanted to have Pete tell his story about uh, why he's particularly interested in soccer and uh, how he's been able to put his own stamp on the coverage and also as well as getting into some of the Champions League topics with the Champions League coming up this week, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, of course, on CBS Sports and Paramount+. Plus. So here's the interview with Pete Radovich Jr. Enjoy. All right. So take me back to the beginning. Where did you grow up and what team did you support uh, as a child? Well, I mean, I, I was born and raised in Queens, so to immigrant parents from Croatia. And um, my my entire family is 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 from the Croatian coast. Um, two cities, small Zadar and Šibenik. And if you're from that area, you you support Hajduk. Hajduk split. There's there's no discussion. There's no debate. There's no conversation. It's you are a Hajduk supporter from the minute you're born. So, you know, working on Champions League. The funny thing for me has been that I'll never have a conflict. I don't think I'll ever have a conflict in in my uh, approach to a game with any bias because I'm not too concerned about Hajduk making a uh, Champions League anytime soon. So <laughs> I don't really have a big club. I, um, you know, throughout my, my life, I've always sort of supported players from Croatia uh, or the U.S. even that were in, in Europe. So, you know, when Modric was uh, doing his thing at Real and Rakitic at Barcelona, those games were always interesting for me to see who, who I would root for or, you know, Mandzukic making his, his round. So Hajduk split within Croatia and, and, and uh, is, is truly the one and only team I support. And then I support a lot of players throughout Europe. So right now, uh, Inter, Inter Milan with, with Brozovic and Perisic are pretty high up on the list of, of teams I'm following. 
So what was it like growing up in Queens, but being a fan of a Croatian team that probably most people in the area outside of your family would not know or wouldn't have known about? Yeah, I mean, you, you just sort of like growing up the Cosmos, you know, when I was very young, the Cosmos were um, towards the back end of, of their run. I have an interesting, you know, connection to NASL because my first cousin, um, Dragan Radovich, who is my father's brother's son, we're truly first cousins, um, was a Washington diplomat. He was a first round pick of the Washington diplomats when they had Cruyff. So he played with Cruyff, and I was a little kid growing up with a first cousin with the same last name playing in the NASL. So the Washington Diplomats, besides Hajduk growing up, because back then you couldn't watch games anywhere, um, you know, I, I closely followed the Cosmos, obviously. And, um, you know, Dragon was doing his thing, and, and my fondest memory growing up as a little kid was in Giant Stadium. I, you know, this is one of the great moments of my life as a sports fan. Uh, my cousin played against the Cosmos, and they went into a shootout, and he won. He beat them. Um, and I'll never forget leaving Giant Stadium with my father and his three brothers. Uh, there were four brothers in the family, and, you know, all immigrants, you know, all sort of blue-collar immigrants in, in the United States. And here, one of ours, immediate family, just beat the, New York, the mighty New York Cosmos in a, in a pretty full Giant Stadium. And on the way out, the 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 memory from that night is just my my father and his brothers just the whole way from our seats to the car chanting who won the game radovich radovich who won the game and literally nonstop from from uh the seat to the car that was that so that that's you know one of the more interesting things he was a goalkeeper uh he played at st francis in um brooklyn was a three-time all American first-team All-American. Again, I think he was the second overall pick. Interestingly, the Cosmos, I remember, had the first pick, and they took Bursich. And I remember how disappointed I was as a little kid that the Cosmos didn't take him. And I think the Diplomats took him with the second pick. And then, like I said, he ended up with the Portland Timbers eventually. And then, um, yeah, so, you know, he's... We still talk. We still see each other for the holidays and all that. But I became a goalkeeper as a result. Uh, when you have a first cousin with the same last name that's playing against the Cosmos, uh, you, you you know it's not a not a difficult decision um, what position you're going to play. So I immediately became a goalkeeper as a little kid. So, so what are your memories of watching um, any soccer on television back then? I'm guessing more more the early '80s, really, kind of. Uh, I mean, did you watch any games? Were there any games on at that time? Yeah, of course, ABC. You know, you had the NASL games primarily. Um, you know, obviously the World Cups you'd watch on, I think it was Univision. Um, you know, you'd watch as many World Cup games as you could. I mean, I was always growing up um, looking at the, the Spanish language channels um, because you could get those. And they always had games on, or it seemed like they had games on, so you'd watch a lot of that. But the World Cups, the, you know, the Euros weren't. I don't remember the Euros being that big of a televised event back then, uh, but certainly the World Cups. And, but primarily NASL on, you know, Wide World of Sports was a big thing. And, and Jim McKay, who, you know, as crazy as it is, you know, his son is now my boss, Sean McManus. So kind of weird how that world works, growing up watching Jim McKay and now working for his son. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, those are my earliest memories of the sport watching on television was 
primarily those ABC weekends sitting in front of the TV and then going out, kicking the ball around. But again, like, you know, it was, it's a shame because back then, obviously, there was no, none of the internet and, and cable packages. It would have been great to be able to watch my cousin play every game in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you, you know, I never really got to see him play except for that one time in Giant Stadium, which was, um, again, surreal and unforgettable. But, um, you know, we were just basically back then, you were just at the mercy of whatever whatever national game. And it was almost always the Cosmos. I think Tampa Bay Rowdies were always in the mix. They were always good. Mm-hmm. Chicago Sting, if I remember correctly, were a pretty prominent team back then. But um, it was it just always seemed to be the Cosmos. So growing up in New York, obviously, you know, you you become a Cosmos fan. So how did you get into the uh, TV industry? I was, um, you know, it's complete, absolute lottery luck. Um, one in a million. You know, I studied marketing. I wasn't looking to do television. Um, I I played. You know, I, I, we've never met in person. But you would know immediately that I'm, I'm about six foot five, six foot four and a half, so I'm tall. Um, growing up, I played a lot of sports, but basketball became sort of another sport of mine that I that I gravitated towards. So I played in college, and um, as a marketing major, playing basketball just you know it's one of those moments in life that is life truly life changing. I mean, people can sometimes point to a moment in their life that changed the course of what would happen from that point forward. And I have one of those moments, you know, it was my senior year. And, um, again, I was a marketing major and one of my best friends, Zach Itzkovich, who's, um, you know, still very close with and grew up with playing, um, soccer, uh, happened to work in the, in the conference that I was playing in. And one day at a game, we just were talking and he mentioned to me for whatever reason, asked me if, I needed to do an internship had I done one yet. And I said, no, actually, I'm starting to look. I'm, you know, I'm in marketing. And for whatever reason, he said, you know, I know somebody at NBC Sports in the Olympics unit. You know, if you want, I can make a phone call. It's, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I like sports. It's not what I'm studying, but sure. So you made the phone call. Um, you know, I went in, interviewed. And literally, I remember every moment of that interview, like walking into NBC and just being blown away as a kid that grew up loving sports, every sport. Um, you know, I played everything growing up. I was obsessed with sports growing up, walking in the NBC sports offices, sitting there. I'll never forget leaving. Uh, there was a, a mail, like one of those like mail ba- uh, boxes, buckets, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And on top, as I'm waiting for the elevator, there was a, there was a, FedEx letter going to Dick Enberg and it just blew my mind that I was actually looking at a FedEx envelope that was going to Dick Enberg. It was like surreal for me. And I just remember thinking, my God, if I can't ever get in this, this would be so cool. And then, and luckily I got the internship. And then from there, you know, one thing I, I, I did the, um, I did a season with them as an intern. I was supposed to go in one day a week. I went in five days a week. They could not get rid of me. Um, and then they invited me to the Olympics that summer as a PA, um, I guess I did a pretty good job because when we got back from the Olympics, they offered me a full-time job, um, doing NFL for a season. And that was it. And ever since then, it's funny. I tell people, you know, I've never had a resume. I've never actually filled out a resume. I've never really needed one. Luckily, because, um, right out of college, right out of that internship, my career started and it kind of took off from there. 
I got, you know, long story short, I was incredibly, incredibly lucky because if my, you know, good friend Zach in that moment doesn't bring up that internship, there's no way, mm-hmm. absolutely zero chance in hell that I'm working in sports television, zero. So that moment in time truly changed everything for me. So if we fast forward uh, in your career, you've won over 40 Emmys. And your coverage of soccer um, in the last few years, I mean, it's quite unlike anything we've seen before on U.S. television. What what are some of the things you're trying to accomplish? I think what we're trying to do is just be ourselves and 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 be entertaining while informative. And that's something that I think, you know, I think this was a perfect storm for me. Again, a lot of luck that this happened to me at this point in my career that, you know, this you, you you do this for a few years, you get some confidence and you're willing to take some risks to do this. You know, what we're doing, you have to be willing to take risks um, because not everything is always going to go. First of all, sometimes you don't need to plan things. You just let it go. And you have to be willing to, you know, take the bad with the good. And I think that's kind of what holds a lot of people back in sports television. It would have held me back probably a few years ago too, is that, you know, you don't want mistakes on the air or perceived mistakes on the air. So what we're trying to do is just, for lack of a better term, let it rip. And, you know, like I said, you know, we, we, our first and foremost um, priority is informing the fan. You know, we do a one-hour post-match. We show every single highlight. We do analysis. We do breakdown. We show interviews from the different uh, venues. We do all the meat and potatoes, all the stuff that every show should be doing. And but in addition to that, you know, the announcers, our talent has the freedom to be themselves. And I think that that expression in this business is used all the time, but not always um, put into place, because I think, you know, when you're on television, live television, it's hard to be yourself because you could be very vulnerable and, and the safest, easiest thing to do a lot of times for people that are on television, especially people that are relatively new to it is to sort of default to everything they've watched their entire lives. And that's how cliches get developed. So for us, it was, you know, truly encouraging everyone to truly be themselves and the way they are in the production meeting, we wanted that on the air. And a lot of times you'll see shows in production meetings and they're all having a good time and being very natural and very comfortable and then they get on the air, and it's very structured, very formatted, very predictable. So we wanted to break through that. And I think that the headline for us is that, you know, we, we held to that, and, and I pushed for that. And, you know, we as a group were comfortable doing that. And, you know, again, you, it, the chemistry has been um, great. And I think a lot of that has been calculated, you know, in terms of how we place to get people together, whether it's Clint Dempsey with former players, you know, teammates of his, um, or Jamie with, with, you know, Micah and, and Peter Schmeichel, knowing that there was going to be that, that chemistry there. So, you know, you put together people, you put together people that like each other and, and enjoy being around each other's company and have a personality and you just let them do their thing. And that ultimately, like I could say, at the end of the day, that's, that's the bottom line is actually letting them do their thing. I think people say they want to do that and that's always a plan, but then when, when the light goes on, every shows tend to, you know, even my shows that I've done tend to just sort of default to predictable um, format. 
So we try to break through from that. That's that's the headline, I guess. Yeah, it's ironic in a way, though, too, because you look at Kate, Abdo, Moedu, and Aguchi Onoeu, all three of them worked together at a previous uh, a sports broadcaster. And the difference between just, just those three from the past to the present is quite distinct. I mean, in, in terms of account, being kind of taking risks and letting people be themselves, I mean, how do you, is that chemistry? Is that a lot of kind of uh, before, I mean, outside of the, the meetings, uh, kind of just having a lot of chemistry, building the chemistry, encouraging them to, to kind of have dinner together, have drinks together, or, or just trying to get to know each other? Or or is there something else that, that yeah. made it more of kind of a natural fit here? No, I mean, sometimes it's a, it's a little bit of, of, of all those things. The dinner thing really never happened with these groups because we, we really started during COVID. So, you know, we were actually, I tell people, you know, we started this in the summer of 2020, you know, right at the, the height of, of everything and you know with with restrictions on travel and quarantining and you know our rooms we had to be separated and so trying to build chemistry in that atmosphere is really difficult so um no i think a lot of it is just finding the right personalities that that want to that want to do this and then and then yeah putting them together in, in meeting rooms like we would have longer meeting rooms and let everyone have a voice you know, different production meetings are run differently by different people. Like a lot of production meetings or the producer will just pretty much go through the rundown and everyone listens. And then other production meetings is a lot more open forum. So the production meetings early on were very much that. The first meeting that we ever had with the Champions League group, like the actual very first time we all got together in a big room separated by several feet apart each, but we were all in one room. Um, you know, we, we got there and they just started talking and, and talking about different things, whether it was personal things in their lives or, um, opinions of what was going on with sports, with the sport. And this went on for an hour and we were, Schmeichel and Jamie and Roberta was there at the time and Micah and Alex Scott and Kate. And, and it was just, I was on the floor laughing at times. At just how, how much fun they were having. And then at some point, Kate turned to me and said, well, we're going to start a production meeting. Like, well, we, are we actually going to do something here? And I, I remember distinctly saying what you guys just did for an hour. That's our show. Like, there's really not much guidance I need to give you guys. You guys obviously like each other. You have a chemistry. You all, you know, you all have a great personality. What you just did is what we should do. And that was it. And that was, that was sort of the beginning. And, and we, we were supposed to do two days of, um, around the 16 second round games. And I, and I asked that we just do them without studio coverage so that we could just hang for two days. And, uh, Harold Bryant, to his credit, my boss in sports agreed. And, you know, for those first two days, we just put games on. Um, and for those two days, we just kind of hung out. We just, you know, looked at, looked at shots in the studio, but it was more of a hang. And that, that those two days, I think were the key to success. And then literally like, you know, carrying that over was the the most difficult thing because, again, you can have that sort of rapport and, you know, you can hang out with your friends and, and think about hanging out with friends and family and in, in a cool environment and everyone's loose and everyone's fun and now put a bunch of cameras in there and turn them on and now say you're live on TV. You think that same conversation is going to happen, the same looseness is going to happen? No. And that's the most difficult part is is making 
that transition from when they're off camera to on camera and continuing it and, and just encouraging it. And that, that I think again, if this was 10 years ago, um, maybe even five years ago, I think our, our on-air product probably would have been different. But I think, you know, this happened for me personally at a time where I'm confident enough. And, you know, if we hit some bumps and, and the last thing I'll say is like, I, you know, in no uncertain terms would, would tell them if we are not clean, if, if things get messed up, if we make a mistake, if you stumble, it's okay. Like we're not looking, we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for authenticity. We're looking for you to be yourselves. If we screw up, laugh about it rather than, you know, don't address the 10,000, you know, pound gorilla in the, in the room. Mm-hmm. We'll joke. If we screw up, we joke about it or we, we acknowledge it. So, that I think all of that, it's a long answer, sorry, but, um, you know, that, that was sort of, um, that was, I think, key to all of this. And then, then it snowballed, right? Then the U S the U S crew got to see what we did with the champions league and Kate was sort of the thread there. Um, so that helped them. And then with the Serie A guys, they saw what we were doing. So and Kate came in a couple of times early for that. And, you know, there's no coincidence that she's at the front of all of this. Because um, without her, it doesn't work. And, you know, she and I got on board with this sort of philosophy pretty early on. We both embraced it. Uh, we got along super well right from day one. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what we've done. I'm proud of what we've done. Um, you know, there's, there's no time to sort of sit back and, 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 and sort of um, pat ourselves on the back. I think we have a lot of room for improvement. And, and I think, you know, we will do that. But, um, but I, you know, again, given that we started in a COVID era, um, I'm super proud of what we've done. So Serie A has a completely different feel than the Champions League coverage, which has a different feel than the CONCACAF coverage. Is that based more so on market research? Is that based on kind of trying to have a better understanding of the audience and each of those being distinct? Or is it more of a kind of identity, wanting to have each of the the different kind of, um, I mean, Champions League, Serie A and CONCACAF have a different look and feel? Yeah, I mean, part of it is knowing your audience. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm at a big advantage, you know, that I have a, a, a working with me behind the scenes people that, you know, we were very lucky that um, within CBS Sports, when we got this sport for the first time ever, that we had in-house, very experienced at a high level of production. People have been doing Super Bowls, you know, NFL games, the Masters, the the, the highest level uh, sports production that were huge fans of the sport. so, you know, Jelani Rooks or Jonathan Siegel or Mike Nastry, these are guys that worked on the biggest events that we have and, and they're hardcore fans. So when we when we started all this, um, you know, there was there was that understanding of, okay, we kinda get it. We know the Champions League fan and sort of, you know, let's go with more of a Euro vibe and, and, and kinda, you know, obviously we had we had no choice at that time anyway. We had to do it in Europe because of the pandemic. But it worked out uh, with the U.S. team. It was, you know, we we're all U.S. national team fans growing up. We know the audience. So we kind of you know geared it towards that. And then Serie A um, is a very specific audience. And we wanted to be authentic. So we brought in as, as authentic an Italian-American group as we could. Um, 
and you know they understand their audience better than anyone because they are their audience and that was it i mean like i said i think it's partly partly understanding the landscape and we were very fortunate we didn't have any producers that needed to come in and learn the sport you know this is uh, at the end of the day somewhat of a niche sport in the country but definitely a niche sport in sports production um you know sports production people are by and large nfl basketball golf you know the big sports baseball um you know the 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 fans of this sport are are here and there so we we were very fortunate that we had people like i said that grew up playing the sport played in college uh, fanatics and were really strong production people and had a strong understanding of our audience so that that was you know that was all of it we didn't do any market research there was zero done for from my perspective i don't know i can't speak for our marketing department and all that from from a production standpoint we did zero it was all instinct um and yeah like i said just you know i think every show should develop its own personality just mm-hmm. like like i said and you know, i'll use the analogy again you put three groups of friends together they're going to be they're all going to be a little different they're all going to have their own personality if we try to copy paste everything that you do from one group to the other it's just not going to feel real it's not going to be authentic so the last question i have uh pete is um paramount plus how does that change the way that you uh produce soccer i mean does it give you an opportunity to have a longer post-match does it give you some other benefits that maybe uh compared to traditional television where you know, there might be a big difference between the two no it's 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 a it's it's great honestly it's it's um i, I love it it's it, you know it took a little bit of time i, I like that we're sort of you know trailblazers in this in this um in this platform within our company um we're learning as we go but you know the the flexibility of being able to do longer shows um switching things up trying things out um you know experimenting with new ideas you know when you're in traditional broadcast you have a window and that's it you know you're 12 to 2 and you've got these commercials you have to hit and you know that's it there's really you're working within those boundaries um being on paramount plus in addition to being on broadcast gives us just so much more flexibility and you know like i said i'm still personally learning it and still figuring out how we can best utilize it but we have certainly gone longer and there are times where we you know in commercial break we'll talk to the announcers the talent say like hey you know, you want to continue, we can go on Paramount Plus for another 15 minutes. We, you know, we're done on CBS Sports or CBS Sports Network, but we can continue to show on Paramount Plus. And nine out of 10 times, they'll say yes. And, um, you know, that's sometimes, some of those nine out of 10 times is when we're on Paramount Plus where we get like maybe a moment that, you know, that goes viral because, you know, they're a little looser and they know that this is bonus time. Um, so things like that. And, and also... You know, the fact that we can do longer story, uh, longer form storytelling with documentaries now, that's, that's really exciting, too. So, you know, working on this sport, not on just, just broadcasting and, and televising the games for me personally, but to be able to tell long form stories in this sport is something I did not see coming in my career ever. Um, I love, you know, long form documentaries I've, I've directed them i've been involved with them whether it's you know long form on 60 minutes or actual sports documentaries but to be able to com- combine that love for that and now with this sport you know we're going to have some really cool stuff coming up and 
in documentaries and, and shows and, and we're just starting. We're just, you know, like I said, we're just starting. Production has been handcuffed, um, not just in studio, but also in the field. You know, if you want to go produce a piece, there's a lot of, a lot of rules and regulations with COVID you know, this past two years. So we've been sort of limited on what we can do across the board since we started. But now, thankfully, knock on wood, all of that is starting to loosen up and we can start really doing some cool stuff. So I'm, I'm excited. I think Paramount Plus opportunity for us, you know, if, if I can say anything, is what we've done so far um, is just truly the beginning. I, I, I can tell you we're, we're very aggressive. Um, we're very um, forward thinking and, and risk taking, uh, not a, not risk adverse. So um, we're going to try some things, see how it goes. But yeah, I love it. I love it. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Apply. See site for details.